This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to what we hope will be an hour of brand spanking new material here on Radio Parallax for the full hour. We have been, um, well, taking a few shortcuts of late because... Mr. Millen and I are just overwhelmed with things in life. We're doing the best we can. As you well know, we appreciate your patience, dear listener. And uh, let's see if we can't string together some new stuff, shall we? I think we're going to start with a quote of the day for today's program, coming from, in this case, the late Bobby Chacon. The Boxing Hall of Famer passed away last week. Chacon is a curious story, as many are in the world of boxing. He retired back in 1988 with a record of 59-7-1 with 47 knockouts. Although he earned millions of dollars in the ring and once owned a fleet of Rolls Royces and up to 40 horses, by the year 2000 he was living in poverty, collecting cans along roadsides for resale. The quote we will go through with Mr. Chacon is that life ain't the friendliest place to be, but... Where else are you going to be? And for our quip of today's program, let's go with Groucho Marx, who produced so many memorable quips over the years. Groucho once said, These are my values, and if you don't like them, I have others. For our anecdote of the week, I think I will use an anecdote involving yours truly, which I think is a first for this program. The anecdote simply is that I went to go see Oliver Stone's new movie, Snowden, this week, and was quite stunned to see that it is, in fact, an excellent film. The friend that I went to see it with and I both agreed that on a five-star rating system, it would earn four and a half points, or stars, I guess. You would not know that it was a great movie by some of the reviews that are out there. We want to particularly cite the Sacramento News and Review, whose title, Citizen Bore, leads you into a perfectly dreadful interview by Mr. Daniel Barnes. Who, who we've noticed in the past uh, has been a rather crappy movie reviewer. And he proved to be so again this time around. But then again, you could read the Washington Post and be equally misled. The Post said that Oliver Stone probably couldn't resist taking on a story about government spying, but, but the Post noted he delivered a superbly crafted drama that marks a stirring return to form from one of our most gifted directors. But then, of course, had to add that as good as Joseph Gordon-Levitt is in the title role, the movie, the movie so wants Snowden to be a hero that it scrubs him of his individuality. When you watch the movie, you'll realize that that's a perfectly idiotic statement. And I hope you will watch the movie, dear listener, because it is worth your time. And no, President Obama and Hillary Clinton don't come off too well when the brief snippets of, of them appear in the movie. TheAtlantic.com noted that Obama, who once promised to run the most transparent White House in history, was clearly stung by Snowden's revelations and has said he doesn't consider him a whistleblower. Even if Obama changes his mind and pardons Snowden, he would feed the conservative narrative that the president is weak and an apologist for America. Sounding a more sensible note on all of this is Michael Shank, writing in USAToday.com, who said there is no question that Obama should pardon Snowden. Snowden exposed the NSA's egregious collecting of Americans' telephone metadata, that's who calls whom and when, without 
case-by-case court approval. Although intelligence officials told Congress that Snowden compromised sensitive military operations and techniques, the truth is that Snowden give away much our adversaries don't already know. The New York Times has noted that the administration wants to prosecute Snowden under the antiquated Espionage Act of 1917, but of course a lot has changed since World War I. The nice thing about the movie is it shows you what Snowden did and why. And it will, I think, blow your hair back just a little bit to see it outlined for you so clearly. Because if you read about what he's trying to do and why, you sort of get the gist of it. But when you watch it unfold on the screen, it really comes home. So, for the last time, I urge you to consider seeing this film. For our good news item of the week, I think I'm going to go with something we reported on several months ago, which was that... (laughs) In Lucille Ball's hometown, they produced a more favorable statue of her. There was an old sculpture of Lucille Ball that was dubbed Scary Lucy by many of the actress's local fans. Yours truly did not have a chance to see an actual photograph of the two statues until this week. And I I must say, it was Scary Lucy first go around. Turns out the original statue's creator received death threats over the likeness, and although he apologized, calling his sculpture unsettling, he offered to redo it for free and got declined. To which we can't resist adding, Lucy, you've got some splaining to do. And it's sad to note that reference is probably lost on a lot of our younger listeners. Not long ago, I walked into a house and announced, Honey, I'm home from the club! And... People looked at me like I was a specimen. By way of explanation, that was what Desi Arnaz, Lucy's real life and TV husband, used to say when he came home from where he worked as a nightclub band leader. I'm not sure where I Love Lucy turned up on that list of 100 memorable television programs, but uh, it was somewhere near the top, and, and all things considered, deserves to be there. Although, sadly, it basically brought us a stereotyped way of presenting comedy that is unfortunately very much still with us. Given that the entertainment industry does tend to operate on the monkey-see-monkey-do principle. And for our stat of the week, let's go with this one. On average, children now get their first smartphone at around around age 10. 10, down from age 12 in 2012, according to the research from Influence Central. Do 10-year-olds have to have smartphones? I mean, really. Right, on last week's program, we promised you that we would do more than one good. More than one of the good, the bad, and the ugly. And doggone it, let's just roll with it. Maybe we'll do three or four. Let's see. start with the fact that according to the week magazine and we're going to take all these i think from the week it was a good week last week for the power of the incumbency after a new york state lawmaker who was facing fraud charges won the republican party primary despite having committed suicide four days prior to the election the late assemblyman bill noje won 60 percent of the vote it was on the other hand a bad week 
a week or two ago for individual liberties, when a Baptist pastor down in Alabama, who evidently serves as a high school football announcer, resigned after reportedly telling fans who didn't stand for the national anthem to, quote, line up over there by the fence and let our military personnel take a few shots at you, end quote. Pastor Alan Joyner claims he was misquoted, but said he overstepped my authority as announcer to express my patriotic views. And yes, we do find it odd that uh, Colin Kaepernick's sitting during the national anthem, or at least refusing to stand, and has now got other people in the NFL to do likewise, is making him probably the NFL's most hated football player. We might not necessarily agree with Mr. Kaepernick uh, on some of his reasoning, We definitely respect his right to exercise his freedom of expression. And don't you think it's odd that the politicians are saying, this country is screwed up, it's a mess, are the same people who are pillaring Mr. Kaepernick for saying kind of the same thing? Not really even saying the same thing. He's just picking an issue that he feels strongly about and saying this is wrong, something needs to be done about it. And finally, in round one, it was an ugly week couple weeks back for crossing the boss after a study of 261 senior executives in U.S. companies revealed that roughly one in five fits the psychological profile of a psychopath, which, if you're keeping score, is about the same ratio found among prison inmates. (laughs) Study author Nathan Brooks said, typical psychopaths create a lot of chaos and tend to play people off each other. And for more on that topic, we refer you to our previous Radio Parallax interview with Dr. James Fallon of UC Irvine, who wrote a book titled The Psychopath Inside. While driving around the Bay Area a few days ago, I turned on NPR, and there was a familiar voice, and I was like, oh, here's Jim Fallon telling a story about how, although he probably shouldn't have done this, while he was in Africa, he did take his brother along to go visit a cave filled with bats, even though he knew that this was probably the likely source for a hemorrhagic fever than killing people in Kenya. He did, his, he did advise his brother not to touch any of the dung in the cave, but did not tell him why that was a bad idea. NPR noted that uh, their relationship has never been quite the same. In defense of Dr. Fallon, I would say that he was, when I was in medical school, our favorite professor. He's a hell of a guy, and we, if you didn't hear his interview on this program, Do yourself a favor, look it up, and listen. I personally can have no complaints about him ever leading me into a bat cave. Let's go for a second round of the good, the bad, and the ugly. Again, according to the week, it was a good week, a few weeks back, for the prospects of legal marijuana. It's estimated that the industry in the U.S. could grow to be worth $50 billion over the next decade, eight times its current size, according to a recent market analysis. Nine states have pot-related initiatives on the ballot this November, including California. Five are set to legalize the drug for all adults and four to allow it for medical use. We shall see what happens here on Election Day. It is our personal hope that the ridiculous prohibition against marijuana can finally be brought to a close, at least here in California. All right, what are we going to call it a bad week for? Well, how about interpersonal relations? When it was revealed that Microsoft has now produced the LoveBot, a smartphone app 
that will automatically send messages to significant others telling them how much you love them. Developers promised it looks 100% like it's coming from your account. And it was surely an ugly week a few weeks back for customer service when it was revealed that Amtrak responded to a passenger who was stuck in one of its elevators seven months ago and evidently later complained about it by noting, we're sorry to hear that, in a tweet answering the February SOS sent by Amanda Carpenter, to which they added, are you still in the elevator? Whoo, that's customer service. All right, should we do three, Mr. McMillan? What do you think? All right, according to The Week magazine, at least on its October 7th issue, it was a good week last week for shaking things up after researchers at Michigan State University found that a topsy-turvy roller coaster ride can, in fact, help patients painlessly pass small kidney stones, especially if they sit in the rear seat where shaking is the most severe. And it was, conversely... A bad week last week for that perennial topic of political correctness in America when it was revealed that Cornell University's football coach has been forced to apologize after students complained that a photo he tweeted of two players wearing sombreros was offensive to Mexicans. Coach Roy Ivestan awarded the big hat after each game to honor players displaying the best team spirit. But students accused Letzevin of appropriating a culture. And, of course, naturally, the coach apologized for his cultural insensitivity. Yes, that is, in fact, the Mexican hat dance. And we hope that no one accuses Radio Parallax of expropriating a culture by playing that little bit of bumper music. Well, actually, frankly, we don't give a rat's ass if anybody accuses us of cultural insensitivity. If you got a problem with that, dear listener, you are considered free to go to your safe space, where presumably you will encounter no microaggressions. And finally, it was an ugly week last week for the average Joe, or perhaps the average Jane, with the news that a new Los Angeles nightclub will admit only good-looking people. The club is being opened by BeautifulPeople.com, a dating site, and will station beauty judges at the door to decide whether non-members and guests can enter. A site official said members were tired of going to clubs, hoping to meet similarly beautiful people, only to spend the night wishing that the lighting was lower. How does it feel to be one of the beautiful people? All right, as fun as that was, let's go back to talking about uh, things in the news. Because that's what we've been doing of late. And yes, I do want to apologize for the fact that we have not not brought you Russ Baker. But we're still working on Russ. We may get him next week. We'll see. Um, It's been a long time since we had a guest on the program. But... um, all right, let's get back to talking about things in the news, shall we? There's been a much uh, there's been much talk about this star that has something orbiting it that causes it to dim in a rather irregular fashion. Astronomers are scratching their head over this one because they can't seem to figure out what would be causing these these odd dips in its brightness. 
One possibility, uh, far and away not the most likely, is that there could be some alien structure which is orbiting that star. They're continuing to monitor it to see if they can figure it out. But I was struck by an old issue of uh, Sky and Telescope, which I stumbled on. It was from six years ago, actually. And uh, it was referring to something that had been in Sky and Telescope 25 years earlier. Which was that one of the brightest variable stars in the sky has been one of the most mysterious. It's Epsilon Auriga, which is quite easy to spot with a, a chart if you want to go out and take the time to track it down. It's um, third magnitude in the constellation of Capella, which is quite prominent these days, these nights, I should say. But apparently this star, too, has been having astronomers baffled for decades. The magazine noted that at first glance, the light curve off the star looks deceptively like that of an ordinary, if extremely slow, eclipsing binary. But then again, on closer inspection, it does not appear to be that. The magazine noted that astronomers were looking for the next eclipse. They only take place every 27 years, apparently, to see if they can't use photo if they can't use photometry to detect, well, possibly a hint of rings, rings of dark dust that are uh, causing this strange drop in brightness. Since the data should be well in by now as to what's going on with Epsilon Auriga, I probably should take the time to go over and look it up. But frankly, dear listener, I'm too busy. Therefore, we're dependent upon you to update us and the rest of the listenership about what's going on with this third magnitude star in the constellation of Capella. Not to say that they figured it out by now. I, my guess is they haven't. But someone update us, will you? And, of course, uh, we need to take a break in a minute. But before doing so, we have to, I think, comment on the latest developments in the U.S. presidential race. It appears that the Donald is not doing so well. His odds, which, as of a couple of weeks ago, looked to be only 2-1 to one against him, have now dropped to something more like 6-1 to one or 7-1. to one. His performances in the debate have not helped him because, well, frankly, he looks a little unhinged. And, of course, there was that matter of the tape that surfaced where, <laughs> where Trump apparently referred to, well, these aren't his exact words, but how, because he was famous, he could grab women's pudenda. The pudendum, of course, is the genitalia of either sex. And although I would have to say that who among us would not shudder at the thought of having <laughs> having their private conversations with friends broadcast, I would surely note, on the other hand, that I don't know anyone over the age of 11 who would talk about grabbing someone in the pudendum. I mean, grab? Grabbing? He is a piece of work. And I wish I could find a way, dear listener, to overcome our great disability we have in radio and that we don't have any pictures to go with the audio and convey to you Mr. McMillan's description of how Hillary Clinton should have shaken hands with Donald Trump at the end of debate number two. I'm sorry to note that my words are probably going to fail to adequately describe how he postured with right hand being extended and left hand blocking the genitalia. But I think you get the idea. And of course, as we ramp up to the election in the last few weeks, time's ticking away, a lot of people are throwing things around, as they always do, along the lines of, you know, if you don't vote, you've got no right to complain. But we take issue with that 
would cite Jeff Jacoby, who wrote in the Boston Globe a couple weeks back, to note that if you don't vote, there's nothing wrong with that. Said Mr. Jacoby, tens of millions of Americans don't cast ballots in our national elections, and they generally have a good reason for abstaining. Voting is like owning a gun or attending a church or pledging loyalty to a candidate or party. The Constitution guarantees that you have a right to do these things, but it also guarantees your right not to do these things. Personally, said Mr. Jacoby, I like the communal spirit of voting and see it as an act of faith and democracy. I also give a lot of time and thought to candidates and policy. But lots of Americans find politics and government repugnant and don't follow news coverage of campaigns. Whatever the reason, they're uninformed. So why hector them to vote? This is not a partisan issue. In his latest book, former NBA superstar, said Mr. Jacoby, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, now a liberal commentator, said that, says that when we pressure low-information voters to cast ballots, we're diluting the democratic process by bringing out those who are easily manipulated. And I'd say that uh, these folks have a point. And uh, I don't want to end on that to take a break here, so instead I'll go with this item. Apparently, last month, a Kansas man robbed a bank at gunpoint because he preferred being in jail to going home to his wife. Police are saying that after Larry Ripple, age 70, stole nearly $3,000 from a Kansas City branch, he sat down in the bank's lobby and told the security guard, I'm the guy you're looking for. Police said Ripple confessed that he'd argued with his wife earlier that day, telling her he'd rather be in jail than at home. He was charged with bank robbery, but then released. It is not known if Ripple returned home to his wife. And on that note, let's take a short break. You're listening to Radio Parallax. I'm your host, Douglas Everett.